Attention Idaho and California residents. If you're shopping for a mortgage, contact PacFi, a mortgage brokerage with the top wholesale lenders in the nation. They are committed to simplifying the mortgage process, saving you time and money. Call 858-442-7048 or visit pacfi.com. NMLS number 1462943, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. I am your host, Debbie Maisner. I'm a registered nurse. I am a mom. I am a health coach. And I'm an alcohol-free badass. And today I have Carolina from Euphoric AF. Um, She has her own podcast. She's got her book. I'm going to let her do a bigger and better introduction of herself. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited to have you on here, Carolina. Really like your podcast and your content. So welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, yeah, go ahead. Introduce yourself, your full name. I don't want to butcher your last name. Um, and, and just give us a little background of who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So I'm Karolina Zhotkovolska. It's a 12-letter last name with a lot of consonants. So <laughs> it's okay that and most people have a hard time saying it, but I am an alcohol-free life coach and have been doing this for uh, over three years now and also an author of a new book that just hit bookshelves recently earlier this year called Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. Um, it's my biggest dream to write this book, so I'm super excited to share more a little bit on the show and also just how I kind of got here in my story because I'm just so passionate now about helping other women not only remove alcohol, but then create this beautiful space in their life where they get to fill it with the things that give their heart the most soul and the most passion and the most purpose. Yeah, beautiful intro, by the way. Um all right. Well, let's start with that. Let's first start with your experience with drinking and alcohol. Yeah. So uh, I was a really hard partier when I was younger. I went to college and then I went to grad school and I drank a lot. <laughs> I had no boundaries around alcohol at that time. And I drank a lot, not only like when I went out and partied, but it really became a habit fast in my life. I was drinking almost every day. Um, and then things changed as I grew up. So I, you know, I stopped going to the bar on Tuesday nights and I really kind of settled into this adulthood where I got a career, I got married and I really started to becoming this healthy, mindful person. And so what I did is I basically took my drinking and I reserved it for the weekend and I was like, okay, everything's fine now. Right. And so I started living this really doctor or sorry, Jekyll and Dr. Hyde behavior where I would, uh, do pretty good during the week and I would be very healthy. I would work out. I would drink my green juice. I do yoga. I meditate. And then every single weekend alcohol came into the picture and basically felt like it bulldozed my healthy week. And I would wake up on Monday mornings just feeling so glum, so unhappy, so tired with this cycle. I was physically unwell. 
And then I would, you know, slowly piece back the pieces together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'd start to feel better. I'd start to get more energy. And then it was Friday again and it was time to drink. And this this cycle really drove me nuts. And I would look around me though, and it was like everyone else was doing the same thing. You know, there wasn't really something that different with my drinking compared to most people around me. Um, and so for years I tried to play this moderation game as well as like trying to drink less and less and less and less. And I'd keep spreadsheets around it. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that each year I actually did drink less than the year before because I was spending so much mental energy around this. But it was also wasting so much mental energy around this. And it just made me feel like I was spending all of this, like, God-given talent and genius you know, trying to figure out how many drinks I had each week, which was really just uh, feel making me feel super stuck. And finally, my big pivotal moment to make a change is I had wanted to make a change for a long time. I actually like couldn't wait to take a break from alcohol. Um, every Monday morning, I was like, please, can I just not drink for a while? And yet it was always that social event on the calendar. It was always the dinner party. It was always the wedding. It was always the vacation. It was always something that was like, nope, you can't. You you are an adult. You socialize. You have to drink. And I also felt so stuck because, you know, up until that point, when I maybe Googled a little bit about alcohol or looked at uh, some books at the library, everything really talked about this, you know, rock bottom story where alcohol just comes to dominate someone's life, where they're drinking you know, vodka at work and they have it hidden around their house and just these kind of stories. And I was like, well, it's nice to like finally relate to someone talking about alcohol in an honest way. But at the same time, this is not me, you know, like I was very much in that gray area and very much doing what looked like everyone else was doing around me with alcohol. And so like part of me was so scared that if I even took a break or, you know, maybe did ditch alcohol, that people would assume the worst of me, that I would be called an alcoholic, and that I would have to go to AA and stuff like that because I just didn't see any other options. But finally, my worldview really changes when I first hear about Dry January. And it was a few years ago. So Dry January was just starting to catch on a little bit in the United States. Nowadays, it feels like everybody knows and does it. <laughs> but back then, it was like a new thing to me. And for me, it was such a great excuse. It was like, the permission I finally needed to take a break from alcohol. And I, I could do it without having to explain it to anyone, right? I didn't have to come up with a label or a story. I'm doing dry January. And so I did dry January that year. And I honestly, like huge shift. There were some challenging moments, but I really did fall in love with it. I really fell in love with how much more peace and well-being I had in my life. I fell in love with the deep sleep. I fell in love with how much more energy I had. And I really fell in love with the feeling of being proud of myself every day, of really not feeling any shame or any recrimination the next day about, you know, drinking the night before. I just love that feeling. And so February comes around. And even though I'm really happy not drinking, I don't think I can continue. I honestly believe at that point, well, normal adults drink. And if you want to be normal, Carolina, therefore you must drink. So I drank socially a few times in February and I literally hated it. I would have even just one or two drinks in these occasions and it completely was such a big contrast to the way I felt when I was alcohol free. So it would really ruin my mood. I would feel frustrated and pretty cranky after a drink. I got exhausted. I even started picking little fights with my husband. I wasn't really present. I remember even watching a movie and being like this plot line, I can't even get into it. And I like the sleep was completely disrupted and I would just came to this conclusion like, oh my God, drinking sucks. <laughs> this is not what I thought it was. And so at that point, it took another break, which 
then turned into four years later to where I am today. And every moment, and especially that first year, every day, every month just got better and better and better and better. And I started feeling happier than I've ever felt in my entire life. And that's really where my company name and my book, Euphoric, really where it comes from is that feeling that I had. You know, we always think that sobriety is some boring, glum, depriving kind of a feeling. And yet I had never been happier in my life than when I was taking that break from alcohol. And so uh, I not only transformed my relationship with alcohol, but also really started to discover so much more about myself and what I really wanted in life and almost had this, this new curiosity to discover what really brought me joy. Because for so long, I thought it was a drink at the end of the weekend. And now it was like this beautiful questioning of like, no, Carolina, that's fake joy. What brings you real joy? And so I started kind of going on a journey to learn that about myself. And through that process and through all the confidence I gained of going alcohol-free, I knew I wanted to really put a lot of these someday goals that I had on this platter, you know, as the pipe dreams. And I really wanted to start working on them today. And so I launched my business that year. I launched a podcast. I started writing the first draft of this book. Uh, and I did so many life-changing things that today my life is a complete 180 from what it used to be. Wow. Just so powerful. I, and I really like how you talk about how it was It was like a, you know, you were already doing all these healthy things and it didn't make sense that you were drinking. And, and I like how you say... Um, in your book and on your show, like alcohol free is the next wellness revolution. And I just think that's so true. And you're just like a really good example of someone who, you know, was gray area drinking, taking care of all these other areas of your life, but removing alcohol just made your life so much better. So much better. And I really, I'm really passionate about this because uh, it's not like there's an us versus them out there. I don't think so at all. But I think as long as we, as as a society, think that the only reason someone would stop drinking is because they have a massive problem, we're all going to be held mm. back. We're all going to be held back with this idea that everybody must drink, you know, to be considered a normal adult or to socialize or anything like that. And I really, truly believe that every reason under the sun, every motivation under the sun you know, is valid to choose a different way to not consume this toxic beverage. Yeah, it, it's a different way of thinking about it. Um, and I, you know, I think that keeps people stuck for a long time when all the movies and mainstream media and even the medical community doesn't really address drinking until it's rock bottom. Yeah. Um, very cool. Very cool. So how do you help other people? Yeah, so I am a coach and I also offer uh, courses and programs. And so I'm passionate about not only helping people completely change their mindset around alcohol. And I have a course called Become Euphoric, which really helps people to do so, as well as my new book, Euphoric to Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. And I really, truly believe that, like, if we grow up in this society, especially a Western culture, you know, we didn't all grow up in Saudi Arabia, most likely. We grew up glamorizing alcohol. We grew up believing certain things about alcohol. And it is even if you don't drink yourself. It is the status symbol in our society. You know, it is like the epitome of glamour and sophistication with your martinis and 007. And then it is the food and wine sophistication and culture of knowing all your wine regions. There's so much more symbolism that's put on a drink than just this fermented beverage. And I think growing up in the society, we've all adopted those ideas. 
And until you can kind of unroot those and start believing things that really empower you instead of, you know, the alcohol industry, it will continue to have this alert in our society. So I'm super passionate about helping women not only change their mindsets around alcohol, through coaching, through my course, through my book, but also what I really care about the most is when you remove that one thing that doesn't serve you, you create a space in your life and you create a space that gets filled with your deepest intuition, with your heartfelt creativity, and with an undying desire to start to find out what makes you feel passionate in your life and gives you real joy. And so what I really love the most, I literally could care less if people drink at the end of the day, right? But what I love the most is you remove this one thing and it's almost as if you have this beautiful canvas to really discover what your truest purpose is. And the journey it takes to go alcohol-free, I think, is such a beautiful journey of self-discovery that, you know, my story is really not this anomaly where I removed alcohol and completely changed my life and changed my career and, and found a life full of passion. I mean, that sounds like your story too, right? And it sounds like so many other people's stories because it's just such a incredible transformation that happens where all of a sudden you're like, you know what, whatever I was doing before... I want to do more, or I want to make a bigger impact, or I want to go after this one dream, or I want to move and live somewhere more beautiful. And it's these things that we once told ourselves are impossible or are just pipe dreams. We start believing that, you know what, if I could change my relationship with alcohol, maybe I could do this other hard thing too. And so that's the thing I'm really passionate about and that I love helping women with. And so I most often, when I do my personal coaching, actually work with women who are already taking a break from alcohol and are looking for that next chapter, are looking for that Like, what is going to unfold here? What is my potential? Like, what can I really do on this planet? And having someone really guide them and cheerlead them and then give them all the steps to execute what that big dream is. And I'm so proud to say that, you know, I've written a book, obviously, and I'm talking about it today, but my clients have written books too. And my clients have launched businesses and my clients have done crazy things like move to Europe because they've always wanted to live in Europe. And I'm just so proud of that because it's like, I've never seen this kind of a change when someone just maybe removes sugar from their life. You know, like it starts as this health thing, but it morphs into something so much bigger. That's such a good point. Like you don't, you know, you don't see it when people remove sugar from their lives. Uh, Yeah. And alcohol, you know, drinking for me, like it takes up so much bandwidth. It, you know, when you just, it seems harmless, especially if, if you are just drinking on the weekends or you're just a social drinker, but I think you don't realize that you're shutting down your, your thinking, uh, not just for that moment, but for the, the next day for, you know, it's just, like you said, you're just creating so much more space in your life to do what you really want, or even just think about what you really want. Because we've numbed it out. We've numbed out thinking. We've exactly. shut down. We've shut, like, I would shut down four o'clock, five o'clock. My brain was off. Um, so good. So good. Well, what would you say are your top tips for anyone looking to change their relationship with alcohol? Yeah. So I think that um, first, recognizing what I said earlier is that we all grow up as a product of the society we live in. And we all have this worldview, mostly all of us, I'd say, unless you grew up under a rock, right? That alcohol brings us some kind of benefit, some kind of status in our society. And I think that's like the mindset around alcohol, the mindset of why we drink today, maybe why we started drinking earlier, you know, as, as younger 
teenagers, like there, that, those differences could be different, right? Those those reasons could be different today, but really understanding like, what was it then? What is it today? What are all the reasons I like to drink? And then I really think it's a mindset process, a lot more over habit change and habit change is obviously great and wonderful. And we want to get to a point where we're taking a break from alcohol as well. But the mindset I think can be a lot more important to focus on, especially at first, because like I had wanted to change the habit for years and I had I had gotten to a point where like, yes, if you asked me to not drink for a certain amount of days, I could do it, but it wasn't fun. And it felt like I was depriving myself, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's like a mistake. I hope people don't repeat of just like, just removing the alcohol, but still thinking that they're missing out or that, you know, they're, they're not, they're not getting to treat themselves. And it just feels like so much hard work and so much deprivation. So honestly, with the mindset piece, there's very deep work you could do. You could work with a coach, you could you know, enroll in a program, you could do things like that. But at the same time, if someone's like just listening to this episode, just by listening to an episode, you're starting to change your mindset. You know what I mean? Just by reading a book, you're starting to think of new ideas around alcohol that weren't really presented in society around you. So I think it can really start just by leaning into the alcohol-free movement and discussions around alcohol in this space, whether that's reading a book, listening to a podcast like this, um, and then maybe if you want to go deeper, obviously, you know, working with a coach or, you know, uh, doing a program or something like that. And then I think that, you know, obviously there does come a time when habit change needs to come into play. And taking a break from alcohol um, is, is to me one of those just most beautiful times to just be like, let's execute on this. Let's like really let's really discover who I am without this, you know, substance in my life. And so once someone's ready to take a break from alcohol. And I think, you know, 30 days is amazing. 100 days, you're going to have a huge life change. But even seven days, three days, like you got to start where you are sometimes, right? And even that can kind of, while you probably won't get a lot of benefits over three days, like you won't experience all of them in three days, you're kind of building your muscle, you know, your sober muscle where you're learning how to not always go to alcohol, you know, at the end of a day or, or whatever it looks like. Um, and so once someone's in a break from alcohol, I would highly recommend, um, you know, really leaning into the literature and guidance out there so that it doesn't feel like you're just willpowering your way through it. But you really are truly getting to know yourself better, getting to know what emotions are coming up for you, getting to know what those emotions are trying to tell you at the end of the day. You know, like I personally believe that while stress is a normal part of life and we all have stress to a certain extent, you're not supposed to feel like a thousand percent stressed out every single day of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And that if you are, you know, maybe there's some signals there. Maybe there's some shifts that need to be made. Maybe there's some conversations that need to be had or, or reevaluation of what you're doing or, or how you could ask for more help or, or whatever it is. And so sometimes our emotions that used to be numb by alcohol, the ones that come up, even the uncomfortable ones are these beautiful messages to our soul about how to design a life that really serves you and is aligned to you. And so this is definitely a process, but it's it's really so much about if you thought about it as self-discovery, I think we'd all be a little bit more willing to see what we're we're going to learn about ourselves and what we're going to figure out. And another really cool thing to figure out is what is really fun for me. For so long alcohol has tricked my brain with its dopamine spike to think that it's fun, right? I remember for years if you would have told me you know, let's go to a winery versus let's go stargazing. Which one would I have picked? You know, brewery tasting versus museum. I would have always picked the alcohol ones. And yet that was just like a trick on my brain. It wasn't real fun. It wasn't real joy. You know, it's, it, I kind of uh, think it's similar to like, let's just put rats in a, in an experiment and put these little 
brain nodes on their brains and then trigger their pleasure center. Of course, it's going to feel good to the rats, but they're not actually experiencing joy, right? It's, it's just this chemical reaction. And so when you remove that, you almost have this beautiful experiment to discover what really brings me joy in my life. What hobbies would I really love to start doing again or rediscover or try something new? What people do I want to meet? Uh, what interests me? What social causes pull up my heart? What am I passionate about? And in my book, I actually have a process and in my uh, program as well to really go out in the world and explore new things, try different stuff. I've had clients go to pottery classes and do photography and boxing and aerial yoga and cycling and learning a new language. Like it's crazy all the different things that they've tried. And in a way of uh, learning more about themselves and just really what delights them. And I think from that point of view, you then learn so much about yourself that you have such a deeper understanding of what you want in life. And that's the thing about alcohol is that even though most of us aren't fond of our drinking days, like they come with a little bit more pain or more, uh, you know, shame or whatever than pleasure. I think alcohol teaches us something really important because it teaches us what we don't want. And when we learn what we don't want in our life, we can then be better attuned to figure out what we do want. And I know that sounds really simplistic and common sense, but think about it. Like how many people on this planet actually really know what they want out of their life? It's not a common thing. And so I think in, in so many ways, alcohol can teach us this experience of what we don't want in our life so that when we remove it, we are like on hyperspeed to go after that thing that we do want. Yeah. I mean, so, so deep, so much. I almost feel overwhelmed. And, and so to someone else listening, like, just start because it feel I mean, I'm on the other side, you're on the other side. So it's, you know, we can look back on that. But you know, if you were just starting out, if you're just like, oh, I, I think I just, I need to cut back. Like, if you're just in that very tiny, tiny start, what would you say to someone? Honestly, read a book. I think that's like, there's no pressure there mm -hmm. to make these declarations of I'm quitting or I'm never going to touch alcohol again. But I think just, again, really uh, surrounding yourself with different information can be enough to start changing the way you look at alcohol. Slowly but surely, it's not going to happen overnight. But I think really just reading a book is a huge first start. I'm not sure if that helped you, Deb, but when I first started, you know, I read books like This Naked Mind and mm -hmm. The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And and those books helped me see it differently, you know, and I think that's a huge catalyst. And that's why I'm just so proud and honored to be able to add a book to the literature myself. Yeah. And I think that's like doable. Like, okay, I'm going to read a book. I'm going <laughs> to take a break. I'm going to take a weekend break. I'm taking this weekend off. I'm going to take seven days off. Now I'm going to do 30 or just, you know, keep practicing. Um, what would you say, a common thing that I hear a lot from people are, especially people starting out, um, is struggling with cravings and urges. What kind of advice do you have for that? Absolutely. So I think there's a lot of beautiful modalities out there. And it really is a game of experimentation because what works for someone might be totally different from what works for you. Mm -hmm. But basically, I personally believe that with our modern lives, and especially as women, we are just go, 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 go all day. We carry the world in our hands, right? We are carrying a zillion spinning plates all the time. 
And I think that most of us just live these overly productive days, which leads to a lot of adrenal overload in our system. So it's like then alcohol comes in in the evening and it's the one thing you can finally do to relax, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, obviously, as you know, and, and, and as our listeners are learning, alcohol doesn't actually relax the phys- the body physically. Alcohol releases more stress hormones in the body. And anyone you know who wakes up the next day didn't really get rid of any of their stress. And now their stress is compounded, right? Because now not only do they still have whatever is stressing them out from the day before, but they might now have a headache on top of that and just no stamina to really face it. And so knowing that we really leave these, live these go, 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 go days, the first thing that I'll do with a client is really look at their daily structure. You know, um, one of the best ways I just really fundamentally believe that you can bring a little bit more balance into your day, feel a lot more on top of it and feel a lot more centered and just grounded is to have a morning routine. So mm-hmm. once someone's ready to incorporate a morning routine, it's just this private time that you have to yourself. You could do things like journaling, you could work out, you could say some affirmations, you could meditate, you know, it's up to you really what you do. It could be 10 minutes, it could be an hour, right? So you can play with whatever you have. But it's just this time where you are not reacting to the world. You are not getting bombarded by emails. You are not having your kids screaming in your face. You are just by yourself, centering yourself and really reflecting and really just honoring and being grateful for the day in front of you. And that can often really lead to a shift in the rest of your day. And then we'll also look at the how the rest of the day plays out. So, for example, does someone even like step away from their computer in, in a day? Do they have a, an ability to take a lunch break and actually put down work that at that moment if they are working? And you know, maybe take uh, go take a take a walk somewhere outside in nature or read a book. You know, reading has actually been proven to relax the human brain faster than almost anything. So maybe even just taking a twenty minute reading break during your lunch. And then also, you know, just getting up in the day, like every hour after work, getting up. So these all these tools, honestly, what they help you with is so that it doesn't become this huge crescendo at the end of the day that you need to like a crest and then you have to relax from. You're trying to incorporate that permission to relax a little bit more throughout the day. But then the evening comes around. You still had a stressful day. There's a lot going on. We all live these busy lives. And so there's all these different things, I think, to try when it comes to alleviate cravings and really what you're looking for, I think for the most part, especially when you're not drinking socially, when you are at home is really, you want to relax. It's really what you're looking for. And since alcohol actually scientifically doesn't do that for your body, let's figure out what will. So there's all these different modalities out there, but one of them is called breath work. And breath work is basically a kind of a form of meditation, but you're practicing doing some breathing exercises. There's this one breath that is called the child's breath where you breathe in uh, very deeply twice through your nose, like like that. And you could only do that for 30 seconds. And it's crazy how it will change the state of your brain so fast because you are getting so much more oxygen than you've ever been used to. And that can often be like really soothing and really, really feel good. I know it sounds so common sense, like, okay, I'm just supposed to breathe, right? But it really does change the state of your brain. And so that's just one example. You know, another example could be like some of my clients love water therapy. What do I mean by that? Just hopping into a bath or uh, a shower. So in one way, you know, most of us probably aren't drinking in the shower. So one, it kind of removes you from the environment from where you would drink. You know, you really, really want to drink. So you get in the shower and you're not really thinking about a drink in the shower as much because you're probably not used to drinking there. And also like the water itself and the like cocoon of warmth that you're creating is so soothing for the body. So that's a really, really good one I found when people are experiencing cravings. 
Another one is like taking a walk outside. You know, personally, there's nothing that soothes me more than watching the sunset. It's just like, no matter what was troubling me that day, no matter what little thing was just driving me nuts, I'm like reminded when I watch the sun set, like, oh my gosh, I live in this beautiful planet. This is a miracle. I'm, I'm just enthralled by wonder at that moment. Other people love to do something that's called like yin yoga, where you actually do a form of stretching at the end of the day and really uh, release a lot of tension that way and really soothe yourself in that. Some people like to work out. And then lastly, I always like to remind people, you can pour a drink. You can literally pour any drink you want. Just pick one that doesn't have alcohol in it, ethanol, right? There's so many drinks out there on the market these days, whether they're alcohol-free beverages like non-alcoholic beer or wine or spirits. Or just like your health food store drinks, like a really nice tea or a reishi drink or a matcha latte. Find a drink you love. And that way, when you have a craving, you can still go through the ritual of decompressing and pouring yourself a drink. You just change the drink. And the crazy thing is, is that the placebo effect works really well in that circumstance. And it often can really meet that craving and that anticipation you felt to treat yourself with a drink without having the negative side effect of all that ethanol and the toxicity of alcohol in it. So those are some ideas. And again, I think everyone's so personal that they're going to have to kind of play around with it and see what works for them. And some days you're going to want to do the run and other days you're going to just want to pop on the couch. And that's okay too. You know, sometimes it's like when we want to change alcohol in our lives, the behavior, we also want to change everything else. So our eating habits is on the table and our exercise. And I always caution my clients, like, don't try to change everything at once. Mm -hmm. Just focus on not drinking if that's what your plan is right now. You don't also have to pick up veganism and run four miles tomorrow, you know. So it's okay, like, if you're not healthy in some other ways at first, that's okay as well, too. You know, like, it will balance out and it will change at first. Gosh, those are such good tips. I want to go back to two things. One was, tell me about the child breathing again. I got to hear more about this. Yeah. So we are really notoriously shallow breathers and most of us breathe through our chest, not our diaphragm. And our diaphragm is like where we would breathe through our tummy. And so we are really depleted of oxygen, the number one nutrient that we need really to live on this planet. And so the child's breath, it's two deep breaths in through the nose and then release through the mouth. And it's called a child's breath for a reason, because uh, if you've ever heard a child crying or maybe you remember Sometimes they mimic this breath where a child could go, <gasps> yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, animals actually do it too. And it's actually a really, you know, primal way to soothe yourself really quickly. And sometimes I will be teaching like a group coaching class or even just uh, be on a live video and I'll be walking my, my, you know, the participants through this breath and we'll do it literally for just a minute. And after a minute, like my brain feels so differently than before. Like I am flooded with that oxygen. I feel even a little lightheaded. I feel a lot clearer. I feel a lot more soothed. Um, it's crazy how breathwork can works. And, you know, you could always get an app or you could Google even a breathwork class on a YouTube video. You could do it for a minute. You could do it for an hour, you know. So there's so much just to play with and trying new things that might really help soothe your emotions. And a lot of these things sound like common sense so much to the point that they won't work, but they're common sense for a reason, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just like sometimes it's the last thing we want to do in the moment, but it's always worth trying, I think, new things in that moment when you feel a craving and and what you're really looking for is something to soothe you, I think, in that moment. Um, and, you know, a drink doesn't have that long-term effect, but maybe these new healthier modalities will. 
Yeah, you're like you're really building up your sober toolkit. Exactly. Um, and I I love breath work and I talk about box breathing a lot, um, which is the inhale for four, hold for four, release for four. But the child mm-hmm. one I hadn't heard of. But it is I'm 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 just always like, <clears throat> you guys, this is free. Like your breath, <laughs> like this is something accessible to you always. It's free. So that's a great one. Um, The other thing you had said that I have been trying to get this answer. So you said reading relaxes your brain. Tell me a little more about that. Yeah, so I think it was a study that came out from Canada. I'm not sure now, but (laughs) uh, they just proved that um, they had contestants meditate. They had people Uh, I think take a bath or something, you know, just a few things that we would think are relaxing in our society. And as they studied the brainwaves, it was reading that actually relaxed people the most. And I'm a huge reader. I read around 60 to 90 books a year. And the one thing I really hated about my relationship with alcohol is any night I drank, there was no reading happening. You know, like I couldn't read at all. Uh, I just wasn't interested or I would be too busy to even care. excuse me or you would forget what you read right yeah um so like really getting back into reading was so so beautiful and something I can do now every single night you know whatever and I want to read but I think because like your mind gets so enthralled into maybe the story you're reading Mm -hmm. or whatever you're learning when you're reading it's hard to also think about all your worries at the same Mm -hmm. time like you're, you're usually not having those competing thoughts as much when you're reading you're just focusing on the material you're not maybe also thinking about the cupcakes you have to bake tomorrow and all this stuff. So it's almost as if it like replaces the brain ability to think about other things, I think. And that's, I think, why reading can be really soothing and relaxing. And especially like, you know, when people have trouble sleeping, it can be really typical when you first take a break from alcohol to have just a little bit of disrupted sleep. I mean, the last thing you want to do is be watching the TV or on the phone before bed. But reading, I always will tell someone, challenge yourself to read a hundred pages, you know, if you can't sleep and I Mm. bet you there's no way you're going to get through those hundred pages. You'll fall asleep after like 10. Oh, I love that. I'm a huge reader too. And I've been like trying to look up like, is reading a form of mindfulness? And then to hear about this study, I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, Fantastic. Well, let's talk more about your book. And congratulations on writing a book. And it sounds like it's been a dream for you. Uh, What is your book like? Like, what is in it? How is it helpful? Yeah, so Euphoric is all about how incredible life is without alcohol. And the way I structured it was that the first two parts really go over all the life-changing benefits of taking a break from alcohol. And I divide it into the body, the mind, and the soul. Mm. So the body will go over a lot of the physical benefits. And it's, you know, compiled by a lot of studies that have come out about, you know, just what happens to the body when you take a break from alcohol. And a lot of my personal and clients' anecdotes of just having so much more energy and a sense of well-being and, you know, saving money and looking younger, all those beautiful things. And then the mind goes deeper into, like, really regaining the sense of self-love for yourself, self-esteem self-trust and really kind of forming a a stronger relationship with yourself that's formed on positive beliefs about yourself, not all these negative ones based on shame and really healing that shame as well. And then the soul is about all these kind of more beautiful benefits that 
you would never think have anything to do with removing alcohol from your life, but you know, your state of gratitude increases dramatically and your presence with your loved ones and even your spirituality might be deepened and, and maybe your bigger goals and dreams that you had long ago shelved or, you know, don't even like to consider or never believed were possible. You start kind of nudging you a little bit more, right? They start coming out. Your intuition is giving you these little signs. So the first two parts of the book just really show a reader like what's possible when you take a break from alcohol. And my hope is that this life sounds so good, so exciting that the reader can't wait to take a break themselves. And then the last part of the book, part three, is actually giving them the guidance to do so. So it's an eight-week plan modeled after my most successful course that hundreds of women have taken. We're in an eight-week plan of of taking a break from alcohol and really diving deep into their own self-discovery, removing all these beliefs around alcohol that don't serve them, really making sense of the role of alcohol in their lives you know, learning to manage these new situations like socializing or what to do with yourself after 5 p.m. But also then towards the end of the eight-week plan, really kind of discovering what brings you a sense of fun. And if you, you know, were to start a new chapter in your life to basically replace alcohol, one that wasn't based on immediate gratification, but really a deeper sense of meaning and fulfillment, you know, kind of nudging them with some questions and some guidance of what that would be. So that's the the book in a nutshell. And I really wrote this book, honestly, too, to not just talk to someone who really, really relates to alcohol um, being a huge problem in their life. Because I think what happens is that there's such an us versus them mentality mm-hmm. out there, right? There's a normal yes. drinker versus the problem drinker. And the thing is, like, I've talked to so many professionals now. I've talked to so many people in interviews and just a lot of people have opened up to me. I don't see there there being a line there. I really don't. I really see anyone who has a regular relationship with alcohol experiences regu- regular negative side effects mm-hmm. like because that's just alcohol affects us all the same. And I think if we were all more honest about that, which I think is really changing now, um, we would see that, you know, even people who only, I've worked with people who only drink one drink at a time and they're still locked into this habit. You know what I mean? So I really don't believe it has anything to do with the quantity of alcohol that's being drunk. Anyone can come to recognize that, you know what, this isn't really serving me anymore. You know, maybe it was one thing when I was younger, but it's just not really helping me become the woman I want to become. Or maybe it's not aligned to my values. Or maybe I'm not feeling comfortable about drinking in front of my children. You know, maybe it's not really a big thing, like it's not a lot, but it's just still not the kind of role modeling I want to do. Or maybe it's not really aligned to my bigger dreams. Like, I don't feel the best when I wake up after drinking. Obviously, nobody does, right? And I really need to feel my best every day if I want to accomplish my goal of writing a book or something. So, like, it really has um, just so much openness to, like, whatever person's motivation are to be here, like, you're welcome. You know, like, whether you're a casual drinker or a social drinker or you have a complicated relationship with alcohol, you're welcome here to read this book and really make sense of the role alcohol plays in your life and really give yourself an empowering position to see who you are without it. Yeah, I think you do just a brilliant job of painting that alcohol-free picture. Your euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, what are your plans for the future? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, writing this book, I have to just, just share this real quick is a uh, been the biggest dream of my whole life. Like I was six years old when I recognized that I wanted to be an author and a writer and I would write a lot as a child. So I would write poems, I would journal, I wrote sh- short stories. And then the most funny thing happened when alcohol came around the scene is I stopped writing completely. 
it was around college that I completely stopped writing. I didn't even journal anymore. And I was just so saddened by that because the dream to write a book never left me. And so what ended up happening was that in my later 20s, I would make New Year's resolutions around this. I would say, all right, this is the year I write a book. My New Year's resolution is to just write 30 minutes a week. And the first week of January would come by and I'd write those 30 minutes. And then that was it for the whole year. And every year I'd have nothing more than a paragraph ever written. And it really depressed me and it really made me feel like, you know what, that dream that you had since you're a little girl, it's not going to happen for you. It's just not going to happen. Because honestly, and this is only I can say this with hindsight, but it was so much easier to open up a bottle of wine than write the next great American novel. You know what I mean? And I lacked the discipline. I lacked the creativity. And I also lacked the vulnerability. Here I was, someone who wanted to write you know, a book about other people or, or character development, sharing emotions, you know, so much goes into a book. And I wasn't even willing to look into my emotions. You know, it was just like hard stop. Nope, we numb those. How could I possibly write anything about anyone, you know, if I wasn't able to be really vulnerable and accept myself as well. But something miraculously changed when I took my break from alcohol is I started journaling a lot. And I started trying to make sense of my relationship with it, the, you know, the role of alcohol in our society. But I was journaling again voraciously that year. And when I started journaling, I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, my writing's back, you know. And I really then believed that I can write a book about this. And I remember I was around two months alcohol free and I was in Hawaii and I watched the sunset. And all of a sudden, I just heard the word euphoric. It was like euphoric. You're meant to write this book, euphoric. And, you know, a month after that, I like literally got all the chapters that just came to me. And I honestly believe that this wasn't my idea. I got it from something else. Something else gave me this, you know, this download, this divine kind of intervention. Uh, And I took really just every single baby step that was necessary to get this book out into the world. And it was a lot of hard work, but it was literally changing my relationship with alcohol that made me believe I am meant to do this. This is my destiny. And so now that the book is out, I'm just, I couldn't be like more proud of myself today because I honored that little girl's dreams. And that is really what brings me so much joy in my heart. But those little girls' dreams was to be an author and to write multiple books. So I have more dreams to write other books. I'm really interested in growing my company and this movement and really serving women at the best level of my ability to have just beautiful experiences and really become ridiculously confident and empowered in an alcohol-free lifestyle and believing that it is that one thing that sets them apart to do anything that they want. Because then you won't ever feel like the one who's missing out or feel like this is some kind of weakness you have. You will always look at it as like, this is what sets me apart to be able to go after anything I want on this planet. And so that's kind of my vision for my company and the programs that we're going to be offering in the future. I'm hoping to do some masterminds and some retreats. Um, But yeah, I definitely want to write more books as well. But for now, I will be um, promoting this one. I've been on TV a few times with this book and uh, just really having an incredible launch and just so grateful for all the support and, you know, people like you to be on your show. It just means so much to me. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I hope, you know, it sounds like you're just enjoying this life you have created for yourself. And what, I mean, wow, that little girl and your dreams. And it's so interesting, too. Like, you had to go through what you did to get to where you are now. And it's, like, all meant to be, in a way. Absolutely. Oh Well, how can someone find you? 
So the book is available uh, on Amazon and anywhere in bookstores, most likely, but you can easily find it at www.euphoricbook.com. And when you order the book from there, you'll also get some freebies that I've got, like my mocktail recipe ebook and a checklist on 50 things to do instead of drinking, as well as a guide on how to socialize without alcohol. So you can get all of those goodies at www.euphoricbook.com. And then if anyone's interested in working with me as your coach or in uh, a program of mine or to check out my podcast or any other things I offer, you can find me at euphoricaf.com. Oh, perfect. And I'll put those in the show notes so everyone can have them. Great. Well, thank you again for being on the show. It was just so great to talk to you. Um, you've motivated me. <laughs> um, and I just really appreciate you taking the time and being an inspiration and helping others. And I look forward to reading more of your books. So thank you. Oh, no. Thank you. Honestly, everything that you do and uh, the content you provide from your audience. And it's just amazing. I'm, I'm so blessed and lucky to have a network of women like you in my world as well. Yeah, we are. We're changing the conversation. all right well take care all right thank you you're welcome bye hey everyone thank you so much for listening to this episode of the alcohol tipping point i'm always here for you guys so please feel free to reach out and talk to me on instagram at alcohol tipping point and check out my website alcoholtippingpoint.com Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time.